Welcome to Female Founder Fridays, and we are here today with Trish Scanlon, the CEO and founder of Soapbox Labs. Thanks so much for being here, Trish. Thanks for inviting me. One of my favorite Irish companies. Oh, fantastic. Tell us all about Soapbox Labs. So Soapbox Labs, uh, we develop speech recognition specifically for children. So it is um, a kind of known problem in academia. People are beginning to be familiar with this uh, concept now that voice recognition doesn't work that's been designed for adults and built off adult data doesn't work as well for children and below the age of 12 it starts getting progressively worse as you get into about the age four so um, we identified a, pr a fairly significant gap in the market uh, uh, that people weren't looking as keenly at children's voices as they were with adults going back a number of years and even to this date most technology out there that's um, voice enabling products could be a uh, smart device in your home, uh, it could be an app, it could be a game, it could be a robot or a toy, just doesn't have the performance that you were beginning to expect from voice recognition, speech recognition technologies. So we specifically design for kids, we license our technology to third parties so they bring the products to market. So we can actually license into a number of different fields in that way, so we can go for the education, entertainment, utility, and we voice enable. And it's a cloud-based platform, so it's global, um, and we get as much reach as you know, very strong across multiple verticals in that way. And we are very, you know, we are the experts on children's voice recognition, and, and we maintain that, that, that market lead quite strongly in the last few years. So, talk about a global market, right? So, it's kids, yeah, it's the technology is AI and machine learning, so that's really hot as well. It's voice. I mean, voice is... Voice first is now actually a new term. <laughs> it used to be digital first. It's actually been voice first is, uh, is quite wide. And, you know, the expectation now is that if you get into your car and you can use your voice to control things, well, the kids in the back are certainly not going to stay quiet. So they have to be able to, you have to be able to cater them. People are beginning to wake up to the fact that they haven't been catering to for kids until now. Um, and now they have a problem. So we get a huge amount of inbound interest across the globe on that they've tried everything that's out there and nothing seems to be working for kids' voices. So you put a device into a home, IoT, your smart fridge, your smart TV, you know, everywhere we're going to see voice, mm -hmm. you know, outside of the office, the minute you take it outside of the office, you have to expect kids are going to use it because there is no barrier to entry for a child, right? You know, they, there's no password, you just use your voice. So if the device is up there, they can't reach it, they talk to it. You have to be able to enable it. And so it's exploding. 2018 is an amazing year for voice technology. So it's great to be in the middle of it. Yeah, and it's great to be in the middle of it and based in Dublin. Yes. Oh yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's a fabulous, a fabulous community here for really cool deep tech companies like yours. It is, and yeah. it's, a, it's, it's a great bed for hiring as well. And it's an attractive place for people to come to. I think there's a lot of good reasons. I mean, when we say, you know, we do all our tech in Dublin, it's actually competitive with the US. So if you try to hire in AI now in the US, you'll struggle. You certainly struggle as a startup to be hiring um, quality, experienced people in the valley. So Dublin has a remarkable advantage because we're English speaking were in the EU and we will remain so. Mm -hmm. And when people are looking for visas, they can't really look to the US much anymore, depending on what country you're from. Um, and then Britain was their second choice, most people, if they want to come to an English-speaking country. Obviously with Brexit, it's caused a huge amount of you know, insecurity. We don't know what's going to happen there. So people are looking to Dublin. We're actually finding it 
um, you know, we're able to hire in a really, really difficult space because we're based in Dublin. Mm -hmm. And then people like the buzz here, they like the, the community, they like the deep tech, they like the, that we're surrounded by multinationals. You know, it, it, it's a very um, attractive place for people to come. And we're not having as big a problem hiring as we know other uh, AI companies are. That's a great story, yeah. And Dublin is such a cool place to live. And Ireland is such a great place yeah. to bring up a family. Yes, and yeah, yeah, All yeah, of that yeah. as well. Yeah, we have so many families working with us. And it's got it all. people who have families working with us. Yeah. yeah, we won't talk about the weather. No, it's good. We recognise that there are some, some we're not perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, so you're the founder of a technology company with global reach. Was this always what was meant to be? I mean, didn't you start out as an academic? Yeah, I think I, I, geez, I think when I was young, I kind of wanted to be an inventor, you know, and then I went and did engineering, and then I went and got a job um, for a couple of years in as an engineer, and then I discovered this is not inventing. <laughs> I'd like to really invent, so I went and did a PhD. Um, I started that in 2000 in speech re recognition. So I started here in UCD, and speech recognition back then was like, you know, it was a cool futuristic technology that was very limited in how it worked and the quality of it and the scope. But, you know, it, it was something very cool. I, I love the idea of working with people so you'd actually have technology that would interface with a real person. Mm -hmm. That was quite exciting because it was kind of fun to work with and you could see it working. Um, and then I ended up spending a lot of the, my time during PhD in New York, mm -hmm. in Columbia University in a research lab there. And then in IBM research, uh, which, you know, a real hotbed of speech recognition um, at the time as well. And they were leading the field, so actually getting exposure to that. And even back in 2003, I saw a demo of a, a smart assistant, given it 2003, mm -hmm. and the guy was, I imagine you're in your car and you're driving and the assistant's going to direct you to the nearest restaurant, that the traffic isn't heavy and it's got good reviews. And he actually did a demo, much like we see the Googles and the Apples giving demos. Yeah. And so we were all thinking, it's just around the corner. You know, that was 2003. It's finally here. It only took 15 years. It's yeah, fine. yeah, yeah. Well, it's the classic, you know, overnight success. Yeah. It just took 10 years, yeah, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so from an academic standpoint, and then you did your PhD in UCD, as you say, and then in Columbia University, that must have been a fabulous experience to be in the States, to be working there, to be building... Uh, your research there and then to work for IBM so from like from academia yeah. to global multinational yeah I mean we you know I, I, I still my contacts I made back then um, are still relevant today I mean we we hire very well through our network we you know we get access to some core speech tech groups that we now are looking to partner with um, through a lot of our experience because a lot of the people I would have worked with in Columbia or in IBM are all over the world now in different places so it's actually a very you know it's still somewhat a small community in speech recognition um, um, so that's been hugely beneficial to the company and how we we build and we hire we advertise and we we get our, into the boardrooms of relevant companies that we need to speak to um, and then after that I ended up working when I finished the PhD I worked, started working for Bell Labs and uh, Nokia Bell Labs now in Dublin and my team was based in New Jersey at the time. But again, you know, a lot of the people who, who I worked with over the seven years there um, are all over the world and, and, and we're still, you know, in, you know, those contacts are those professional, the contacts with friend contacts, you know, they're, it, over all that period of time served where we are today very yeah. well. Yeah, completely. Yeah. So, so, so you've got an international network, you're able to connect into that out of Dublin, the multinationals that you worked with here are helping with that as well, obviously. So you're 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 really 
you're you're in Dublin, you're based in Dublin, but you've got such a global, not only global market, but a global network for for everything yeah. else, from expertise to talent, everything else. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's kind of important for we're B two B, so we're always licensing our technology to you know companies big and small, but to be able to get into the boardrooms for stars and you're in at the right level and then you know how you know their wants and needs and their worries and mm -hmm. and, and and realizing simple things that like a big multinational the right hand often doesn't know what the left hand is doing so just because you talk to someone there and they might have said no doesn't mean nobody in the organization is interested you just need you know someone who to own that relationship and want that relationship to make it work and so you don't give up that easily you continue to find the right avenue in and, and working for those organizations for so long it's becomes clear and clear how they operate and what their what the issues are and given those issues how you deal with it and then how you present and how you you know who you need to talk to 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 get the decision made and all that's been really helpful to get where we are today yeah I mean, you, you, so from an academic to working in multinationals to being a founder, you make that sound like a natural progression. Does it feel like that? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, in Bell Labs, I worked on the commercialization of research innovations. So I kind of, you know, a little bit left academia behind where it's you know, supposedly, you know, mostly blue skies research, really. Um, and then you're more about doing applied research and working with business groups to figure out their wants and needs and then finding products that, that, that can advance the business or create new, uh, new verticals in the business. Um, but that's actually quite a big thing. Taking research from the lab to the living room is not trivial and people often underestimate that. Right. So that, those years I had in, in Bell Labs was actually often like, I felt like I was pitching a lot of the time and I didn't realize that, that I'm, that's kind of what you end up doing on the startup. Like pitching for funding? Yeah, really, because you are, like you're pitching for resources. Mm -hmm. You're pitching uh, an idea, you have to do a value proposition. You have to give, you know, you have to estimate times, you have to estimate the benefit to the business, you have to demonstrate the market need. You do all those things. And I didn't even realize that I was just kind of, wouldn't this be cool if we did this and then I go pitching. So then when I eventually left and started um, the business, um, you know, so those skills out. helped. Yeah, those mm -hmm. skills helped to. to Completely. Yeah. You brought it all to the fore and brought yeah. some great people with you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so as a female founder, fundraising, which you're constantly as a startup, constantly yeah. fundraising. Do you feel like Ireland has been open and welcoming to that, not just for you specifically, but in general as a culture? Do you think that we're a good place to be a business leader, be a female founder and, and get funding? I think female founders will still struggle here. I mean, I, and I won't say it's across the board, but you definitely have pockets of, of people doubting you, you know, I have 20 years and I've worked for all these multinationals, I was an academic, I have a PhD, you know, for some people it was like not enough, you know, and so when people call it out and saying, oh, we just fund experience people, I had the experience and, and there still was a lot of people turning me down because they just didn't believe that I could just pull off what I said I was going to do and what we have done. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe people are always sceptical, maybe it was being female, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, I certainly found that when we looked abroad, um, it just easy easier mm -hmm. yeah, yeah yeah that makes sense mm -hmm. uh, so you think Ireland still has a ways to go and probably a lot of countries still have a ways to go in recognizing and supporting yeah I think for female yeah I, I, I'd love to see more female GPs in VCs okay. I would like to see that I mean I think I would I would you know so general ask partners general partners in venture capital mm -hmm. firms um, you know that every VC their next hire make an 
effort and sometimes it is more of an effort to, to search maybe you gotta you know when you're advertising for your next GP your general partner um, you know maybe you change the the wording of the advertisement maybe you look a little broader outside your own network you know because maybe you don't have enough women in your network if you're a male a GP right um, I'd love to see that I think that would fundamentally change investment in Ireland because a lot of times when you have uh, a decision maker about where the investment goes who maybe doesn't get the, the female point of view or the product that would be more attractive to the female uh, demographic, um, you know, often they will turn it down mm -hmm. in that way. Or maybe sometimes, you know, the gut, you know, like hires like, I would say like invests in like. Right. Um, you know, if you had uh, a, a female at every investment committee meeting, maybe it would be different. Because some are, and we have some great uh, female GPs, but we don't have enough of them. Yeah, and it's not across the board. We can all count them on one hand, less than you know, half hand. Yeah, you know? yeah absolutely. So I think that should change, and I, I don't think that's a hard thing to change. It's just, mm -hmm. It takes will. Yeah, 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 and it takes purpose and conscious thinking. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. the opposite to unconscious. Yeah, bias, and, and right? I think look, a lot of people can make you know say words and say oh we'll commit, but like to do something real, the one thing people can do is balance their investment committees in mm -hmm. better. Yeah, great. And I think we're, we're talking a lot about that in Ireland these days. We're thinking a lot about it. Tech Ireland is measuring funding yes. for female founders. Yeah. So I think we're on a journey. And yeah. I think uh, companies like Soapbox Labs and spokespeople like you, Trish, can help us to get yeah, there. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. only delighted. Super. Congratulations on everything right, so you. far. And looking <laughs> forward to seeing the star continue to rise. Okay, thank you, Niamh.